Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, 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 welcome to the show tonight. We got a great lineup, well, show... Uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so, but I think we've got a real interesting show. Um, Mark Mirabello is going to be on with us tonight, and he has written a book called The Odin, the Odin Brotherhood, and it is about, are you ready for, are you sitting down? It, no, it is about secret societies. Now, I know growing up, um, there's a lot of caves up in the gold country, and when my family and I would visit these caves, there were different spots where people would crawl in like over the years and one of the spots um i think of murphy's caverns i do believe it was murphy's um if i'm wrong somebody can you know tell me but uh where they used to come in and do a rite of passage for the for one of those societies and they used to have the guy come in by himself with with, with a single candle and sit there in the dark at night and that was part of his rites of passage to get into the society so hopefully we can talk to mark about that tonight my name is Charlotte again. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I own the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team at www.californiahaunts.org. If you want to visit the radio show, that's another one altogether. That's www.californiahauntsradio.com. And we have all our videos are posted on there. In fact, I'll be doing a big update tonight to get everything updated through September. And welcome. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a dial out. Uh, the last time we did this, we had like a mic drop, unfortunately, but I don't think it's going to happen today. So let me do a dial-up and see if we can get Mark online and get the show on the road and talk about these things. See, there's my phone. Dial to some music. I think we need dialing music on this show. Hello. Hi, is this Mark? Hi, this is Charlotte with California Haunts Radio. Nice to be talking to you. Nice to be talking to you, sir. Let me get this thing in position here. How are you doing today? Oh, very good. Very good. Now, we're not on the air yet, are we? Uh, yes, we are, actually. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. No, no problem. My, my, my listeners are used to it. <laughs> it's not a problem. So, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about your book, The, the, the Odin Brotherhood. Because as I said before we got before the show started, was that as a kid, um, my family and I used to go visit the caves here, here in the Gold Country, and a lot of the caves were used for initiations for um, some of these, you know, societies. Yes, I know. In fact, it's really interesting that there's, uh, you know, we speak in general terms about secret societies. It's possible that the very earliest initiation sites are those lost Paleolithic caves in places like France and Pyrenees and so forth, where we find all of the remarkable artwork on the walls. And what's interesting is the um, most art is made to be seen, and this cave art was made not to be seen. You had to often, uh, the people had to penetrate into the darkness a considerable distance to make that art. So we think perhaps initiations occurred there. Uh, it also reminds me there's been some suggestion that even though we now say that the Egyptian pyramids were simple tombs, 
it's been suggested they were actually used for various initiation rites, but we'll never know for certain. So uh, I've always found, again, secret societies rather uh, interesting. And, and by the way, I should mention off the top, this is how I was planning to open the program. Okay. Um, in effect, until I fumbled the balls. I kind of threw it at you, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and um, um, basically, the general idea with secret societies is those who are not with us are beneath us. Mm -hmm. There's an element of elitism and selectivity there. Now, the one you mentioned, Odin Brotherhood, I just accidentally encountered them while I was I was working on my PhD at the University of Glasgow in Scotland and encountered a rather curious figure in a bookstore in Leith. It's a little town that adjoins Edinburgh. In fact, as I get older and time goes by, I often think there were sort of rather uh, curious synchronicities, they're called, uh, remarkable coincidences, because I kept encountering this man and uh, led to ultimately that little book. And then now I'm presently completing a work on secret societies in general. The working title will be uh, Secret Societies, A Skeleton Key. Hmm. So um, are you yourself an amateur cave enthusiast? I am. I love it. I can go. I could, I haven't been spelunking yet, but if, if, if there's a cave to tour, I'm going to go. It's interesting. If we go back to uh, traditional cultures, uh, there's two reactions to cave. Uh, caving, if you are, I should say caves. In some cultures, they never go beyond where the light stops. Where the light stops, they stop. And then we have a few examples, such as the one I just mentioned in Europe, where they actually go into the darkness. And they believe that by entering the darkness, they somehow encounter supernatural forces that are significant. And um, uh, sort of a source of wisdom and knowledge and power. So um, uh, certainly caves are fascinating, which reminds me too, if you go back to Greek antiquity, they used to think, now we think we're in a, an endless, infinite universe that goes on and on with galaxies and stars. Although, mm -hmm. uh, that concept's really recent in history. People don't realize that the notion that space is infinite is really from the 18th century after Christ on. And we have no way of proving that. It's completely unscientific. We can't observe it directly or, do, or measure it in the laboratory. But in ancient Greece, I've always liked this idea. Of course, it'd be ridiculed by scientists today. They thought we literally lived in a world cave. That if you traveled far enough, you'd encounter a solid wall. Huh. And in fact, we often misunderstand Plato's allegory of the cave, where he talks about uh, the person in the cave seeing the shadows on the wall and mistaking this for reality. That cave that person is represents the world cave. And in fact, often you'll see the cave imagery in secret societies. In fact. I think probably most American Freemasons don't realize that the bright lights, little speckles on the ceiling of the Masonic uh, uh, sites is to symbolize the cosmos. And then if you go back to Roman times, they had the cult of Mithras. And of course, the function of the cult of Mithras was a positive afterlife. And they had seven levels of initiation. Um, they would meet in underground units that were again structured to resemble the world cave. And they would go to these levels. And, and by the way, they've heavily influenced us, even though we don't realize it. 
we think the handshake mm-hmm. comes from the cult of Mithras. Um, originally, the Romans used the handshake only for special things. It was not simply a greeting. In fact, they did not even use it as a greeting. It was used, for example, in a marriage arrangement or some kind of important agreement or contract. And we know that in the cult of Mithras, that the last seventh level was achieved with a handshake with the master called the father. He was the highest level. So um, uh, secret societies and their influence is everywhere. How did secret societies start? That's a really good question. I noticed, and by the way, to your audience, mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing. Uh, there's, there's so many books on secret societies. And I hate to say this, but a good many of them are just pure rubbish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, people, uh, regrettably, were too specialized today to handle these issues properly. And frankly, it, so you'll often will see that people will think that secret societies start with the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. And they typically date them in the 18th century, which frankly is, is far too new. Uh, they're certainly older than that. But in reality, secret societies go back to prehistoric times. And one of the um, myths, in fact, um, I was recently discussing this on a radio show and we received some feedback from it. Uh, we find this myth, and by the way, when I use myth, I mean it in the German sense. Mm-hmm. Americans think of myth as something that's fictional. The Germans use the word to imply a belief. It doesn't matter if it's true or false that helps orient ourselves in the universe. We have them. We have them everywhere, in politics and economics in religion and in science. And um, there's a widespread myth. We find it in the Aboriginal peoples of Australia. We find it in the um, Patagonia in South America, as well as other places, that long, long ago, women were in control. And they had control because they were the masters of magic. And they could control death and sickness with their magic. And then the story, which again is told in Australia and South America, far away, among other places, is the men got together and conspired and literally killed all the women past puberty. Because the legend was that uh, often we see instruction goes on during puberty rites. Mm -hmm. The girls were taught the secret of magic at puberty and they killed every person, woman, past puberty, and then basically enslaved the little girls. And to keep the girls in subjection, and later women in subjection, they formed a secret society. Um, And again, this is found in these primitive cultures. The uh, Book of Mormon, among the Mormons, they claim that the very first secret society is uh, made by Cain, who made a pact with the devil. In fact, the Book of Mormon discusses the secret society, makes oblique references to it. And certainly, um, humans are by nature conspiratorial creatures. Uh, I find it really interesting that the modern world, especially in America, not so much in Europe, but in America, just the word conspiracy uh, summons uh, denial and ridicule. Uh, People hear the word and think, oh my God, you are crazy for thinking of this. But by nature, humans do conspire for advantages. And that's essentially what a secret society is. It's a secret conspiracy. 
in which um, people pledge not only loyalty to one another, but also pledge mutual aid and mutual defense. And in some versions, you become blood brothers. Mm -hmm. There's actually bloodshed. Is, is, uh, someone is cut during the ceremonies of initiation. And uh, I'll be using the term uh, he and men quite a bit in this discussion because overwhelmingly, although we have female secret societies, they seem to be overwhelmingly male. And um, there, I know our modern culture denies gender differences, but it's interesting that, for example, if you compare, let's say, the Freemasonic initiations with the Eastern Star initiations, that's the kind of auxiliary for women associated with the Freemasons. Mm -hmm. When women have a sisterhood, they will hold candles and they will wear veils and they'll pledge loyalty and devotion and affection to one another. Whereas when males have secret societies, they'll often have blood curdling oaths. And they'll say, if um, I do not follow, uh, if, I, if I betray the brotherhood, uh, my bowels will be ripped from my belly, uh, the top of my head will be cut off, my heart will be ripped from my chest, or I'll be damned eternally in hell. And um, there's, uh, there's often that, again, that really powerful horror story aspect that you see in secret society initiations among the males. Huh. And it's really crucial, which reminds me too, because um, I teach at a university, Shawnee State University, and all universities have gotten rid of and even outlawed hazing rituals among fraternities. Yeah. And what those really are, are degraded secret society uh, initiations. What essentially happened was by the 1990s, they simply became drunken uh, ordeals. Uh, where people are taking plum shots and acting stupid, but originally uh, it was part. It was it was crucial to the initiation that some kind of danger was involved, at least perceived danger, uh, some kind of really terrible oath was sworn, and so forth. And but today our culture just is repelled by such things. Mm -hmm. Even the Freemasons are now getting rid of some of their more. Um, serious oaths and in fact um, the British version were, were eliminated in the 1980s and I'm making clear in my forthcoming book I'm going to discuss secret societies in their classic form not the watered down kind of Freemasonic light rites mm -hmm. but the more traditional ones and um, another parallel I should mention is the initiations resemble shaman initiations and also oddly enough royal initiations um, where a king would go through. So, um, and I should also mention too that uh, uh, there's the ordeal, which again, we don't understand. That's often the test of courage. And uh, for example, in the Drangheta, uh, the person, this is a Italian organized crime. Everyone knows in America the mafia, but in fact, that's from Sicily, Western Sicily, by far the most powerful mob today in Italy is the Drangheta, which is in Calabria, south of Italy. And they'll have an ordeal with involves a dagger. And if the person flinches, it shows he's unworthy. Huh. Um, which also I should mention, not stop me if I go on too long. Yeah, sure, one fine. idea leads to another. 
uh, often, now this is the controversial part, we're not certain this is true or not, it appears, at least in some secret societies, as you go through the levels of membership, and many secret societies have levels of membership. In the case of the Masons, the Scottish Rite has first the three levels and then another 30 levels of upper initiation. It appears, is, and by the way, I should mention, there's always an exception. We mentioned earlier the Odin Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. They don't have levels of initiation. Everybody in it is at the same level. It's a so-called conspiracy of equals. But in the ones with levels of membership, often as you ascend through the ritual, you'll be asked to do something repulsive. For example, perhaps spit on a cross or perhaps um, do something that's, that's blasphemous or heinous. And then if you refuse, the other members of the Brotherhood will congratulate you and say, you passed the test, we were just checking mm-hmm. if you were uh, worthy, but then you've actually failed and you will rise no farther. But if you do the horrific activity, whatever it is, uh, you then will continue to rise. But they'll, they'll sort of lie to the person when he rejects the activity. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them couldn't be quite horrific. We have reports, although this cannot be proven, although it appeared in congressional testimony in the 1970s, uh, there was one outlaw group in America that the initiations involved sexual intercourse with an underage girl, a woman over 60, and a corpse. Now again, we can't prove this, oh. but it, the, it, would, it would ring true that an ordeal is designed as a test. And uh, we have the Roman Catiline conspiracy where the reports were that the, during the initiation, they would slaughter a child and then drink its blood mixed with wine. Now, the purpose of that, this is for these really dangerous secret societies. Mm-hmm. You want to make certain there are no informants in the group. So the membership must commit a crime, a heinous crime, that's revolting to society. Because if you do that, once you've been drinking the blood of a child, you can't go to the authorities and say, um, this, this group, I want to turn them in. Because you've committed a really horrible act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why, by the way, um, uh, if anyone in your audience is in a bar in New Jersey or New York, and uh, some young man tries to impress a woman in the bar by saying he's a mafia, uh, mafioso, um, he's lying. Mm-hmm. No true mafia man would ever say he's in, in the mafia, because to be in the mafia, which is a secret society, mm-hmm. you have to commit murders, not one, but probably multiple. And um, that's to earn your bones, as they call it. Um, which reminds me, too, it's rather remarkable how often secret society, Argo it's called, slang, enters our language. Um, the mafia in the 1930s, to cover up killings, mm-hmm. used baseball imagery. That's why they refer to a killing as a hit. Right. They're using baseball imagery. But then it, it enters into the popular press, and then you now have, uh, everyone knows what it means, so they have to keep changing. 
although the mafia in America has degenerated and now they're they're they're, they're forgetting the rules. They're referring to whacking people. That's kind of a stupid. Uh, right. <laughs> everybody knows what that means. Uh, which reminds me, I'll have a section in the book on secret communications. And if you're in a secret society, members can recognize each other through various gestures, handshakes, keywords, phrases, kind of passwords. And the really uh, effective ones. Uh, use, again, what I just referred to as an argo or argot, where that's to use ordinary language, but it has a different meaning. Um, anyone hearing the, uh, the statement would think you're just talking about a different subject. But the initiate will understand. Uh, reminds me, for example, this just pops in my head. It's kind of an extreme example. We have these radical, right-wing, dangerous kind of neo-Nazi groups uh, although they're very small, if you watch mm -hmm. the news, they act like there's thousands of people. We estimate there's been probably never more than 500 hardcore neo-Nazis at any given time since World War II in America. Uh, they're really small. But they will use, as a code word, 88. Okay. And what they're referring to, they'll use it in correspondence or communication. Uh, H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. So 88 means Heil Hitler. But 88 in Morse code means love and kisses. <laughs> so <laughs> it gives you plausible deniability. Oh, no, I'm not saying Heil Hitler. I'm saying love and kisses. Uh, another example are the horns of Satan. Uh, in fact, it's, once you're aware of the communications, it's really curious how often politicians will use gestures. I don't know if they, they realize what they're doing, but are really secret society gestures. And a common one are the horns of Satan. In fact, the Clintons have been in the bushes, were photographed innumerable times with the horns of Satan. And you hold the uh, index finger and little finger erect. You close the other fingers into the fist. Now, it, when you're making the horns of Satan, the thumb can be into the palm or out. But if you're using that gesture with the index finger and the little finger with the fist, if you put the thumb out, that means I love you in sign language. Right. <laughs> so when Bill, when Bill Clinton flashes this symbol, is he saying, hail Satan? Or is he saying, I love you to the hottie in the third row? <laughs> right. I'm assuming with Clinton, it's probably saying, I love you to the hottie. He's in the probably third hitting row. on the hottie, yeah. Yeah, but, but it's, um, it's important that you always have plausible deniability, that there can be multiple messages. Um, now, in terms of the Freemasons, and by the way, this can um, undermine uh, justice system. If you're a Freemasonic person, especially if you're a royal archmason, that's a really high level, they swear an oath to support a royal archmason in everything, if he's right or wrong. So ten, now, not the lower masons. The lower masons, the first three levels, there are exceptions regarding murder and treason. But when you get to the royal archmason, you must support your brother in every endeavor, anything, and he needs help. And a um, person can go and let's say he's accused of a crime. The royal archmason, and when he's standing next to his lawyer, can make the royal archmason gesture. 
which would indicate if there's a member of the uh, uh, the Brotherhood on the jury, or perhaps the judge, um, it'll he's wanting assistance to support me. Now, I was talking about this oh, about a year ago on a Toronto radio station with Richard Surrett. Mm-hmm. And then later, there were posts on the, his website and so forth. And, uh, and also, I got a call, and this, this lady was really upset that that justice system was being undermined. But in fact, if you study justice, there really is no justice. I mean, all kinds of innocent people are serving even life sentences, and all kinds of guilty people are walking the street. Right. And it's pretty easy to corrupt the system. And although people, ordinary Americans think it really works and that if you're found guilty by a court of law, you're guilty, but it's, it's far more complex than that. Uh, and incidentally, the authorities realize how fallible the system is, so they're constantly rigging it themselves. Um, it reminds me, here's another issue from the mafia. I think your audience may not be aware of this. Once a person reaches Mafia Don standing, he's at the top of the heap, he's not committing any crimes at all. And they, they watch the, the, the movie version, and they, these guys are ordering endless murders and robberies and so forth. Mm-hmm. In the Mafia, money flows up. The lower people are committing all the crimes, and they share the proceeds with the people above them. In fact, they don't share. It's obligatory. In fact, they will kill you at the lower level if you are not sharing your funds. And um, But the head man, so to speak, he's not committing any crimes at all anymore. He may have committed crimes years ago, but that was long ago. And that's why the legal system has developed, really, frankly, uh, traps. Um, and they repeated it so often that it's an offense. People come to believe it. My favorite is money laundering. When a person in America hears, oh my God, that's horrific, he's laundering money. Mm -hmm. They don't realize what it means. What money laundering is, let's say a person makes uh, $10,000 selling drugs, a really horrible drug such as heroin. Well, that's one crime. We can probably agree that's a crime. But then if he takes the $10,000 and buys a, um, I'll do it on a mocking level, he buys a, a Whopper Jr. at Burger King. Mm-hmm. That's technically money laundering when you spend the illegal money. And the reason they developed that in the 1970s is they couldn't catch the Mafia Dons. They had all kinds of money flowing in, but it was all, um, they weren't committing crimes to get it. So they invented a new crime and convinced the public that this is a crime. Which, by the way, is always why citizens should always defend the rights of criminals because when they start to abbreviate our rights they always start with unsavory people the very first person really who went to prison for income tax was al capone and then once they use that to send a person to prison it's been now used for years thousands of people go to prison and i I urge your audience uh because some of these groups i study are in uh, sort of radical politics and so forth Mm -hmm. You do not want to mess with the IRS. Um, you pay your taxes. It reminds me to, just like a Sicilian will pay his protection money right. to the mob, <laughs> you have to pay the protection money. And by the way, uh, protection money, just like taxes, they will provide services. If you're paying 
the mafia, again, it's a common motion picture theme, will be the grocer or shopkeeper who refuses to pay the production money. Then they, they beat them up or kill them. In fact, if you pay, they'll protect your store from theft. Uh, they're doing a service. It's like you're paying the police department. And uh, in the case of the Russian mob, which historically was called the Vori, Russians always do things in a really colorful way. If you have a kiosk and you're paying the protection money, they'll throw in some extra services. For example, they may beat up your wife's boyfriend for you <laughs> for free. <laughs> so, um, and incidentally, uh, this will be a theme in, in, the, in one chapter of the book, uh, forthcoming book, is the state and organized crime in particular and secret size in general, they're, they're very similar. They do similar things. And um, so there's, um, in a sense, the uh, uh, underworld secret societies are just simply a parallel state. And I think that's why the state goes after them, because the state likes to monopolize force. Um, at any rate, I've sort of wandered into many fields there. But on to the original question regarding the brother of Odin Brotherhood, I, I really encountered them accidentally. And it led eventually to a small work that was later expanded down to sixth edition, uh, discussing their ideas and themes and so forth. Well, these members, uh, not to interrupt, sir, but these, these members of these societies, they, they come from all walks and all walks and, uh, and forms, right? I mean, it's, it's like I was thinking about that Tom Cruise movie, Eyes Wide Shut, you know, when they were all now, attorneys and doing that stuff. Now, by the way, that notion, that, that film... Eyes Wide Shut is interesting because there's a type of secret society that we refer to as Hellfire Clubs. Uh, that's a term from 18th century England. And those groups tend to be um, the mega rich wanting to do illicit things, often of a sexual nature. But along the way, they may, may be committing some other crimes as well, including murder. And that is, that's actually, that particular film, and another one, uh, I would recommend your audience, uh, it's a really obscure film, oddly enough, a made-for-television movie from the 1970s called The Brotherhood of the Bell. Really? With, with the late Glenn Ford as the starring role. And in fact, uh, when I was living in Scotland, that movie was shown on BBC television. I was young. This is in the 80s. Mm -hmm. and I saw it. And that helped generate my interest in secret societies. Not only the contact with the old brotherhood, but seeing that film as a young man. And it really depicts the way secret societies work. When the film opens, the young Glenn Ford is being initiated into this brotherhood of the bell. And after the initiation is completed, he turns to a uh, older man who's kind of his mentor and says, uh, uh, I now feel like I'm part of the establishment. And the older man says, you are the establishment. And then in the film, they kind of fast forward. He lives about 22 years. He's a professor at a university. He is a professor at an elite school. All of his publications are picked up immediately by publishers. All of his work is heralded. Mm -hmm. he, even his beautiful wife, he later discovers, 
it's all the work of the Brotherhood of the Bell. He's not that talented, so to speak. It's simply his membership has opened up all these opportunities. And then he's now, after he's now in his, apparently uh, in the 40s, he's in his 40s in the movie, and a member of the Brotherhood approaches him and asks for a favor. They want him to vote against a colleague for promotion and tenure. Mm -hmm. And he, they don't give a reason. They simply say, you need to do it. And he balks. He says, I'm not going to do this. This is a respectable man. He's a, a leading academic. And Glenn Ford is told, we have made you what you are. Your, your fortune, your success, your publications, your academic rank, and now it's payback time. Well, finally, he relents, votes against the man, who then commits suicide. And the rest of the movie, Glenn Ford character, I think it's named Patterson in the film, is so outraged, he tries to expose the Brotherhood of the Bell. And what's, here's the interesting part of the film. They are everywhere. And when he tries to expose him, they make him appear paranoid, crazy, uh, a conspiracy theorist, and no one will believe him And because uh, their power is everywhere. Clearly, the Brotherhood of the Bell is loosely based on Skull and Bones because, and from Yale because they're very powerful. And um, what essentially happens with the system is it leads to cronyism. People that really aren't qualified are holding high-level jobs. Mm -hmm. And uh, a classic example is George Bush Jr., who was just a prosaic, average student. Uh, not a single, after he became president, not a single one of his professors could remember him as a student. He was so nondescript. He was a cheerleader in college, uh, a partier. But he's able to rise to the top because of skull and bone. Heck, only enough, in 2004, of course, the public was rather shocked by this, a group that only recruits 15 people a year and has probably a worldwide membership of just a few hundred at any given time alive on Earth, both presidential candidates were from Skull and Bones, John Kerry and, of course, Bush Jr. Huh. And um, another curious thing, by the way, here's the kicker. George Bush Jr. is related to 16 American presidents. Whoa. And John Kerry was his distant cousin. Really distant, but they're cousins. Now, with all the talented people in the United States, what are the odds that this little group would produce these leading figures? The, the, again, the game is rigged. Right. Uh, one example, I was like, this will appear in the book, is the case of McGeorge Bundy. Um, he was graduated Yale 1940, I believe the year was. He um, was, again, just a nondescript, ordinary student. He was in Skull and Bones. Because the war broke out, he goes into the military as a private. Within one year, this man with no military experience was a captain that was helping to plan the Allied invasion of Sicily. I mean, he has no knowledge of this at all. No military then, experience. Wow. And then, and then a short time later, he's involved in planning the Allied invasion of Normandy. 
Now, we wonder why sometimes are, for example, recently in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. failures. We have people that have, frankly, no idea what they're doing. They get these positions because of their connections. Later, with his bachelor's degree from Yale, he ends up a professor at Harvard and also a dean at Harvard and also a national security advisor to John Kennedy and Johnson. Now, again, is this was he really qualified to do these things? Um, and they have a sense of entitlement, too. When you get into these high levels, um, they just expect these positions because they have the connections and the ties. Um, and again, it's all over. Now, I'm not trying to say we should have a revolution and stop all this because right. the game is rigged. And what it probably makes more sense to the audience is to get involved in secret societies to help rig the game in your favor. But it is a rigged game. There's no doubt about it. Now, how does someone join a secret society? Do they have to have somebody refer them or, or how's that work? Actually, again, I'll have a little chapter on this, and I should mention it varies from group to group. Uh, the large group I'll mention first would be the Freemasons. Um, they will never invite anyone to join the Freemasons, um, at least in the British and American versions. There's an exception in Australia. Oh, by the way, all these groups have exceptions. depends where you are. Mm-hmm. For example, French Freemasons admit women, even though the other Freemasons don't. So there are exceptions, but in the American version and the British version, which are the largest ones, probably 600,000 members in the UK alone, um, they will never ask you to join. And you must ask a member three times, three separate occasions, it's called three knocks. Now, notice the three. Um, this is not arbitrary. Uh, secret societies, everything is symbolic. And they will always deal with odd numbers. They may not realize why they're doing this, but uh, in Roman antiquity and Greek antiquity, odd numbers were viewed as magical and superior to even numbers. Because when you add an odd number and an even number together, you always uh, the result is always an odd number. So they assume that odd numbers are more powerful. And the three in Freemasonry indicates the three murderers of Hiram, the architect of the Temple of Solomon, which is really key to Freemasonic uh, initiations, especially in the master level, that's the third level. And if you ask, uh, you have to ask the Freem- a Freemason, and then uh, you must be endorsed by at least uh, a few of them, and your name will be brought up to the lodge, and it requires unanimous approval. They have a secret ballot. They'll discuss your candidacy. And the brothers will drop a white ball or a black ball into a box secretly. Uh, that's where we get the expression black ball. Hmm. And if you have one black ball, you're rejected. Funny um, enough, this actually appears in an Andy Griffith show episode uh, where Marty is trying to get into a, it's clearly the Freemasons. And they don't—they never mention it, but it shows how widespread this is in popular culture. Uh, the old Andy Griffith show in the '50s and '60s. At any rate, uh, if you pass unanimous consent, uh, you are then initiated into the Freemasons, and they have this really elaborate ceremony. You must not have any metal on your body during the initiation. I'm certain 
the Freemasons, the average member has no idea where that comes from, has magical significance. Um, metal is taboo to the gods in the ancient world. Also, even Jehovah. The Bible indicates that no metal was used on altars or the construction of the, old, of the Temple of Solomon. So you must have no metal. Also, you wear a special outfit on your body. The one breast is exposed. That apparently was to keep out women, although they don't know that today. Okay. And then you have the, the sleeves rolled up, one sleeve is rolled up, one leg is rolled up. You put a special clothing on. Uh, your feet, you cannot wear shoes. Uh, that's because leather represents death. So they give you um, something to wear on your feet that's not made of leather. And then they have this elaborate, I could, never, I could spend the entire hour, I don't want to do that because it would be rather <laughs> tedious, describing what they put the initiate through. And then he learns secret information, uh, recognition signs, passwords. And then ultimately he can go through the three levels at the uh, what's called blue masonry in America. And then if he wants to, he can go into the upper levels. Now here's the difference now. The, the upper... 30 levels, you have to be invited. For the first three, you approach them. For the upper levels, they have to invite you. And again, that's the significance. And by the way, there's probably at the 33rd degree level, at any given time, for example, in the case of Britain, no more than 75 people qualified to be 33 degree Masons. That's how elite it is. There's 600,000 Masons plus wow. in the UK. 75 men are qualified to be the 33 level. So it's a really elite. Now, once you get to that level, there are these strange books out there. I'm not making this up. Mm -hmm. Claiming that if you're a 33 degree level Mason, you learn about secret alien contacts with a planet from the stars Sirius. That's almost certainly not true, but it circulates that they receive special information. Mm -hmm. You also will see, this is mainly from the evangelical groups, claiming that when you get, it's probably not true though, that when you get to upper levels, you learn that Freemasonry, Freemasonry is, is demonic, that you're worshiping the devil, who's called Lucifer, the Lord of Light. Again, that's almost certainly not true, and it dates from a 19th century forger named Leo Taxil. He wrote a series of best-selling books in 19th century France claiming that upper-level Masons were actually worshiping the devil. And it caught on with the popular imagination. It's almost certainly, he said it himself later, that he made it all up. But the idea still circulates. By nature, we are suspicious of secrecy. Mm -hmm. Humans are. And that's the negative side that hurts secret societies. They're often attacked because outsiders accuse them of malicious activities. Uh, even the early Christians got into trouble. Now, again, most people don't realize that early Christianity was a secret society. Uh, the services were not open to everybody. You had to be initiated, which involved baptism, oddly enough, in the nude. They originally baptized you in the nude. You got secret information, and you were a member of the group. They typically met in private locations, often at night, which to the pagans, that was actually sinister. Mm -hmm. um, you worshipped the gods in daylight, you met at night for the underworld entities. 
and uh, Roman pagan ceremonies were in public, and the Christians were meeting in private. That's why the early pagans, we, we can find this in early writings, falsely accused the Christians of human sacrifice, cannibalism, and having orgies in which incest was involved. Now, this is all not true, but when you meet in secret, these are the problems, can, these problems can be generated. Just like in the 14th century, the Templar Order, which represented the elite knighthood knights in medieval Europe, they were accused of worshiping a, uh, an idol, of having orgies, of kissing the anus of the Grand Master and his genitals during Yikes. initiation. Uh, that lives on today when we, call, we refer to kissing behind. Yeah. Well, that comes from the Templar. Yeah. And oddly enough, we also use a term in America called brown nosing. Uh, people don't realize what it means. It literally means your, shall we say, your uh, kissing of behind is so vigorous you get feces on your nose. <laughs> so uh, we really shouldn't call someone like a brown noser or kissing behind. It's actually really horrific. <laughs> it's pretty bad, yeah. Um, I, I often tell my classes, because I'm, I'm amazed how people abuse language in America. And um, we will all use this. Uh, I'll tell the students, don't tell your little brother, don't bug me. Now, the British understand what that means. They use the original term. They actually say bugger off. Right. And bugger refers to sodomy. So when you say to your little brother, don't bug me, you're actually saying don't bugger me, which actually means don't put your genitals in my anus. And I don't think that's what most people are, really want to tell their little brother. Uh, but we use these expressions without really understanding. In fact, I, I caused a kind of miniature fireball at my university a few years ago. Um, a woman's forum at Shawnee State University was establishing a prize for uh, women of distinction, both students and faculty and staff. And they stupidly, in my opinion, named the prize. They should have called it Women of Distinction. They called it Women Who Rock. And I sent an email to the faculty and said, uh, I don't think most Americans realize this, rock and roll actually means to have sex. It's African-American slang from the 1940s and 30s. And uh, so when you say Women Who Rock, it sounds like a frat boy list. Huh. And man, did that cause... <laughs> attacked by all kinds of people. Um, but again, I'm, I'm wondering for the point. But um, um, I've always been intrigued by um, secret communications. And uh, also when people say things to one another and outsiders uh, don't realize what's being said. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite fascinating to me. Um, and incidentally, uh, there's one secret society that has the slogan, the hours come, but not the man. And they will put that on subway walls, on scratching into tables, uh, graffiti, and most people will walk by it and not really know what's going on. But in fact, it's a secret message to members of the group. Well, And um, the Old Brotherhood itself, by the way, has various communications. Um, they will run cryptic classified ads in various newspapers and uh, 
periodicals. And again, most people wouldn't even, you'll just read it and think this is nothing, but it's communicating with the Brotherhood. Uh, they will leave um, symbolic information inside of a library book. For example, a book on ancient Norse or medieval Norse religion. They'll leave a document inside to be found. And of course, the person who finds it, they're thinking anyone who's going to read a book on this subject may be uh, interested in, this, in, in, in belonging and joining. Now, earlier, you asked me when this whole line of thought continued about how people join these. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there, as I mentioned, cases of Freemasons. Other groups, if you get into really uh, these super elite groups like Bilderberg Group, if you go to their website, they will tell you how you can uh, possibly join. That's total disinformation. The only way you can get into the Bilderberg Group, and it's only they're made up of a core membership of about 80 people. And their net worth is greater than the net worth of all Americans put together. That's how wealthy they are. And nobody joins the Bilderberg Group. They are recognized. Uh, They will recognize you as someone who can, shall we say, uh, well, be a part of their activities, which I like to, I'll be quoting Michael Parenti on this, he says these elite groups, their whole purpose is to make the world safe for those who own it. And the Trilateral Commission, Bilderberg Group, the so-called Round Table Group, these are really wealthy, powerful people. And um, they um, they promote their, their cover stories are that they're promoting one world government one world language, one world set of values, and world peace. But that's clearly not what's going on there. They're again making the world safe for those who own it. Uh, And making certain that uh, 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 various revolutionary ideas uh, don't really spread. Uh, I should mention, because I I mentioned earlier the Catalan conspiracy among the Romans. Its purpose was to seize power and to do this, they were going to abolish all debts. And that's how typically when an invasion occurs or a revolution occurs, the invaders or the revolutionaries will abolish all the debts. And that's how they get support. Imagine a Chinese army attacks the United States mm-hmm. in the year 2060. And one of the first things they announce is that if you support us, your mortgage will be erased, your credit card debt will be erased, your student loans will be erased. What do you think Americans will do? Oh, Pay yeah. their mortgages, their debts, or join the invader? Oh, they'll love it. Yeah. Yes. And by the way, revolutionary, and, and I should mention, this again has been sanitized in our history books. Um, they also, invaders will liberate slaves. And that's what the Emancipation Proclamation was about. Lincoln was a really horrific racist himself and had plans to export free blacks out of America, mm-hmm. get rid of them. But the Emancipation Proclamation was to create, if you look at it carefully, there were 400,000 slaves in the Union. Most Americans don't realize that. The Union was not totally free. There were slaves and 80,000 slaveholders in the Union, 
400,000 slaves. In the Confederacy, there were 3.5 million slaves and approximately 320,000 slave owners. And when he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, he was hoping the slaves would rise up and either run away or kill the masters, or at least dislocate the southern economy. And the same thing will happen to us. Our new slaves are not the slaves we think. We think of slavery as the horrific Atlantic voyage, the chains, the whips. The new slavery is debt slavery. Even the Bible in Proverbs identifies slavery with debt. If you are a debtor, you're a slave. And the amount of debt in America is just staggering. And it just cannot keep going. And if we keep doing this, either a revolutionary or an invader will, just as the South was vulnerable to having the slaves there that could revolt, mm-hmm. uh, a large number of debtors could undermine our system. Uh, by the way, uh, the last I looked, it's probably higher now. Each taxpayer in the United States owes $190,000. That's his share of the national debt. Yeah. And that's in addition to your mortgage, your, your student loan, your credit cards. I mean, it's just getting unbelievable. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're making it more serious. Uh, by the way, the, the word mortgage means uh, the grip of death. That's what it literally means. And most Americans will spend one-third of their life working for the banks right. to pay off the mortgage. And the problem is the banks are not the evil ones here in a sense. It's people are so used to borrowing money, they're living in excessively large homes. In early 20th century southern Italy, newlyweds typically got a one-room house from their families. And then as they became more successful, they would add rooms to the house. My own grandfather was from uh, Bovino in the south of Italy, and that's what he did when he came to America. He had a really small, basically one and a half room house. By the time he died, it was a three bedroom, uh, upstairs, basement, large house. And he just kept adding to it. And there was never any debt. And uh, we now borrow uh, huge sums of money. And by the way, always to your audience, use the rule of 72. Uh, if you want to know how much uh, interest you will pay, you divide the interest rate into 72. That tells you how long it takes to, uh, uh, for example, that would indicate if you borrow it's 4% interest, mm-hmm. um, basically in 18 years, your interest will match the principal. If you borrow 100000 you owe them 200000 You borrow 500000 you owe them a million. And years ago, banks used to, when this country was more together, they would never lend more than two and a half times your annual income. Now they lend six to seven times what people make. And that's a mistake. And people are getting plunged deeper and deeper and deeper. And to bring this back to secret societies, one of the most powerful secret societies is the Federal Reserve. They have secret meetings. Their books are never audited. And um, most, well, Henry Ford famously said, if Americans knew how our money was issued, they would have basically a revolution tomorrow. Um, People don't realize that 
every time the American government prints money, it pays interest to private banks. Huh. And it's, this is why our debt is so large. Now again, don't rise up and refuse to pay your mortgage right. or to uh, try to overthrow the system. It's too powerful. Well, here's a question really quick to to interrupt a little bit. Yet the richest people don't pay taxes. So why is, why, why does it work that way? Is it because it, 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 like you say, with these societies and stuff, is it, is it a good, uh, good old boys club or what? Well, here's an interesting point when you mention that. Now, um, among the Incas, that great empire in South America that was there when the Spanish arrived, when the Inca, who is the emperor, and basically the, the viceroy of the sun god, when he conquered really poor people, he actually collected taxes and live lice. Hmm. And the, the purpose of that was not because he needed live lice, he was showing he was in charge. And in fact, the real purpose of taxation, in a sense, is to show who's master. Sure. You're paying tribute to the system. And ordinary people uh, must pay these taxes. Um, in the past year and a half, and I was stunned that they were doing this because it's been economics 101. You don't just turn on the printing presses and issue money like they've been doing. Right. Because it's going to crash the currency and cause a depression. And it always will. The Germans did that in 1923, and their economy collapsed. The Hungarians did that after World War I. Their economy collapsed. Zimbabwe did that in the 1990s and early 2000s. Their economy collapsed. But notice the Americans missed the point. If they can just turn on printing presses and create money, mm-hmm. why are we paying taxes? Right. See, the, the original fiat money, which was introduced in China... The, this is the original fiat money is money that's not gold or silver or any real value. It's issued by the state, and you must take it. And uh, the Chinese emperor issued paper currency, and by law, you had to accept it. When he, when he bought something, you had to take his currency or it was the death penalty. And if you used this currency and gave it to someone else, they had to accept it. And that's what fiat currency is. Now, the trouble is today, we no longer have the death penalty. We have on this, I'm not saying it's a problem, but we it only works because we believe it has value. Mm-hmm. The $100 bill, which costs about 2.5 cents to produce, we believe it has value to $100, and we will can also find another dupe who will take it from us. Mm-hmm. For $100. But once you get into hyperinflation, people stop taking the money, and that's when it just collapses out of control. Now, back to your original question, um, and I should illustrate how the state works. If you're in Palermo, in Sicily, beggars on street corners pay, if they call it wetting the beak, they pay money to the mafia. Um, now, the beggar, well, I should say the mafia, Don, doesn't need the money because it's really a token amount. He's charging it to show he's in charge. And then the beggar, who's a panhandler, he gets a monopoly on that street corner. 
So no one else can collect money there from passive buyers except that beggar. So he gets a service, but the mafia Don is showing he's in charge. Now, when you get back to why don't the rich pay taxes, again, the whole system is rigged. And I should mention, uh, Americans are educated to think that we have this wonderful constitution and so forth. Well, but they miss the point. Every political system in history, every system, ancient Rome, ancient Sparta, ancient Athens, uh, medieval Venice, modern America, modern UK, they always have the same function. Any political system, its main function is to keep those in power with power. The system is designed so that those who control it remain in control. And that's why we get all these oddities. Uh, for example, uh, no one ever even thinks about this. Why do we have representative democracy mm -hmm. where we vote for congressmen and senators? With modern technology, we could easily use plebiscites and referendums. Um, if a new tax is going to be passed, you ask the public, do you support this, yes or no? If they're going to outlaw guns, you ask the public, do you support this, yes or no? If they're going to uh, go into abortion issues, you ask the public, yes or no? But see, the reason we have representatives, they're easier to, shall we say, bribe and control. Mm -hmm. If you have um, a kind of hidden elite, they can manipulate a few hundred congressmen far easier than they can manipulate millions of people. Although they can manipulate millions of people to the media, it's easier just to manipulate a few congressmen. Which leads to the idea, now again, this is just, we're talking about beliefs, not facts here necessarily, mm -hmm. which some people say is true. It's called synarchy. That's ruled by secret societies. That behind all the presidents, prime ministers, congressmen, there are these faceless people who actually control things. Uh, Bill Clinton famously said on a visit to Ireland in the 1990s, he would often say things apparently in jest that would really ring true. And he said, when you become leader of a country, you, re you re realize that someone else makes the decisions, which is a really interesting statement. And they're not really in control. The mm -hmm. presidents are not really running America. In fact, it's getting really obvious with Biden. He seems to have handlers telling mm -hmm. him what to do. And he's telling me if we get a press conference, and he'll say, well, they told me to do this. <laughs> and I have a feeling that uh, I'm not trying to support, you know, like Biden or Trump or any of these issues, but I have a feeling what happened to Trump, and they had such a really uh, heated attacks on him, is he actually thought he was president. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got into power and acted like he was the man in charge. Mm -hmm. and that's not how it works. You do what you're told. And that's what most presidents do. And uh, the the visceral attacks on him were just so endless and horrific. I think there's there's, uh, there's there was something to it, which reminds me, World War II bomber crews had the expression that when the flak is heavy, that's the anti-aircraft fire, mm -hmm. we know we're on target. So whenever the uh, it's a, when the flag is flying, there's a reason for it. Which reminds me too. Again, I, I'm talking as a historian now. Right. 
I'm not trying to say that people should not get their vaccines or wear their masks, but I found it really interesting. Normally in history, when there's an emergency, the authority figures spend all their time calming everyone down. Mm -hmm. Don't panic. You will be okay. Because they realize panic is the worst possible thing. Uh, when the planes hit the towers of 9-11, mm-hmm. the loudspeakers in the building were endlessly repeating the recorded message, stay where you are, we will come and rescue you. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, the people who obeyed that died. But they always tell people not to panic. That's actually the main one of the plot lines if you saw the old movie Jaws about the shark. Right. Remember the, the city authorities on the beach town They're telling everybody, it's okay, there's no shark out there, you'll be okay, go swimming. Well, in the past two years, they're going out of their way to generate a panic. It's it's every day Uh they're talking about the deaths and the suffering, and it makes me really suspicious because they normally don't do that. So there seems to be some agenda at work here. I don't know what it is. Uh Um, I'm old enough to remember there was a... Uh, and again, this has been airbrushed over history. Right. People who were uh, adults and can remember in the 1980s, there was this hysteria about AIDS. It got really out of control. And dentists were refusing to treat uh, HIV-positive patients. Uh, undertakers were refusing to bury HIV-positive people. Um Restaurants fired HIV-positive waitstaff and chefs because the public was terrified that the disease would be spread through fluids such as saliva, not just sexual fluids. And the system at the time endlessly repeated the message. You can hug a gay person. You can have sex with them if you use protection. It's okay. Uh, By the way, some school systems were expelling HIV-positive children who got it through blood transfusions, Mm -hmm. and they were trying to calm it down. But now they're doing the reverse, and I find it really uh, suspicious. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the reason is, but it strikes me as really peculiar. Uh, Of course, another one is also how they endlessly talk about uh, uh, global warming. Notice they don't say global warming anymore. Have you noticed that? Yeah. They changed it to climate change. And anyone who knows history, the climate constantly changes. Also, we know there was a miniature ice age in the 13th and 14th and 15th centuries in which the climate got really cold in Europe that actually destroyed the Greenland settlers and they went extinct in Greenland, the Viking settlers, uh, from the climate change issues, among other things. And we know this happens all the time. And as recently as the 1970s, they were warning us that the ice age was returning. I'm not making this up. They were saying that it was getting colder. Mm -hmm. And um, oddly enough, uh, sulfur dioxide is a pollutant produced by coal plants, and it actually causes climate cooling because it's a a pollutant. It creates smog, and that actually cools the climate down. And they, of course, closed, they're trying to close all these coal plants. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that's a bad idea, but... There's something suspicious going on. They're trying to stampede population in certain directions. Yeah. And um, I don't know why. Is it some uh, sinister thing? I don't know. But 
but it is, I, I'm always, um, well, I always say to my students, and it's actually in one of my books, Handbook of Rebels and Outlaws, I was apparently not the first person, first person to say it. Mm-hmm. I thought I was, but I wasn't. Um, never believe anything until it's been officially denied. There you go. <laughs> there you and, go. Uh, yes, I would recommend that to everyone. Again, I'm not trying to say don't take your shots or wear your mask. Right. Just be alert. Uh, there was a lawyer in the Obama administration named Cass Sunstein. And he actually wrote an academic article wanting conspiracy theories outlawed or taxed. This is how bizarre our culture is becoming. And uh, speaking of which, I won't mention this man's name because he's been victimized by cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I don't want to get your show canceled. But this one individual wrote a really fascinating book on secret societies and some of the manipulations that occur with public opinion. And he said, secret societies and the ruling elite intentionally spread the idea that resistance is futile, that you can't possibly overthrow the system. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, they publish, they circulate an alternative theory. But the alternative theory is actually counterfeit. In other words, the, the choices are, A, you have to obey. B, this is what you do if you don't want to obey. But D is actually fake. Uh, it's a fascinating idea. Uh, that reminds me of Borges, the Argentinian writer. A great fiction writer, probably one of the greatest fiction writers of the 20th century. Uh, he was an Argentinian. And he mentions... Uh, I forget the exact quote, but he talks about um, a, a new history is being falsified and replacing the old history, which itself was supported by fake evidence. He says it more eloquently, but saying that basically everything we think is true regarding our history has been falsified. And that's one of the principles of 1984 with George Orwell, uh-huh. the memory hole and the manipulation of history, and he who controls uh, the past controls the present, he who controls the present controls the future. Uh, I've always been fascinated how we can manipulate information. But um, it looks really uh, grim. But at any rate, I have wandered from the original <laughs> subject. I'm sorry about this. Well, you know what? It's been an hour, and it's been fantastic. You, you, you have informed me, and I've learned a lot. From you. Well, thank you very much. And I would like to have you on after you get your next book out. I would love to have you back on again to talk about this stuff. Okay. By the way, let's see. Is your, I forgot to look. Is your mailing address on your website? Yes. Okay. I will send you a copy when it's finished. Cool. I mentioned that, I mentioned that because sometimes people don't <laughs> what post do you what that address. was. Something always <laughs> falls during a show. I just don't know why. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, I missed that. Something missed that. always ends up falling during the show. <laughs> I don't know why, but we just had something <laughs> fall. Never fails, especially when I got somebody on the phone. Fantastic. But I would love, I would love to read your new book. Okay, I'll send you a copy when it's finished. And it's been an honor being on your show. Absolutely, I, thank you for the opportunity. And I would love to have you on again. Again, how can people find you? Well, I've got a website. Uh, my name markmirabello.com. It's M-A-R-K-M-I-R-A-B as in boy, E-L-L-O.com. It lists uh, various shows I've done. It lists the books I've published. 
It lists the courses I teach. It lists the contact information for me, uh, email and phone numbers and so forth. Uh, it's a pretty clunky site because I did it myself. Uh-huh. And I'm not very good at computers. <laughs> but it's um, all the information is there. Okay. Again, markmirabello.com. And where can people get your books? Where can they get them? Yes. Well, in fact, um, it, it varies from which book we're talking about. The um, the last one, Traveler's Guide to the Afterlife, was in just even bookstores like Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. Most of my books are in specialty shops, or they're easy to find online. Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, BooksAmillion.com. I actually recommend to people uh, BookDepository.com. Okay. That's actually out of the UK, but there's free shipping worldwide and no sales tax. Cool. So um, it's the bookdepository.com. All my books are there. And oddly enough, um, I don't know if you realize it, but Amazon's turning into a flea market. And when you type in someone's new book on Amazon, it won't necessarily list the Amazon as the first one to order from. Right. If another bookseller is cheaper, they'll list the cheaper one. And often book depository is the one they list for my handbook for Rebels and Outlaws. Although Amazon actually owns the book depository. They bought it out a couple of years ago. Um, so, uh, and by the way, the reason they're promoting, people don't realize this, uh, talk about uh, scams. When you buy a product not from Amazon on Amazon's site, mm-hmm. they get a bigger percentage of the profit than when they sell their own books. Interesting. Good to so, know. And incidentally, it reminds me, I recently just learned this, because uh, there are all these controversies on YouTube, that if you post a video on YouTube and it gets a million hits, mm-hmm. you re- with, if you put advertisements on it, you get $2,000 for a million hits. Huh. I tell you, it's one big swindle, isn't Something it? Something to work towards, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I can well, see yeah, that. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. And again, I would love to have you on you know, to talk more about this subject. So this is great, and okay. thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, and be an honor. So All right. Talk, talk to you again. Bye. You have a good evening, sir. Fantastic. Well, I learned a lot on that show, and I'm sorry for the thing that fell. One of my uh, hooks fell. <laughs> I was holding up, a, hold, holding up a plug thing. I could tell the light went out on my um, thing back there. That's why. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. Tomorrow, we're changing gears a little bit. We're going to have a musical guest on, and it's kind of a fun guest. Um, DC The Brain Supreme is going to be on. DC The Brain Supreme is uh, the second member of that group, uh, the whoop, the, there it is, people. And as, as you know, they're doing a, they've done a Geico commercial. Scoop, there it is, right? You guys have seen the Geico commercial? He's going to come on tomorrow, and he's going to be talking about the music business because he's, he's, um, had some ups and downs. His management wasn't that great, and so he had lost everything at one point, built it all back up. And he also um, does inspirational talks, and he's also um, he also does uh, advertising for people and stuff. So it should be interesting to get his take on all that and his and, and, and their career over the years and and uh, coming back from that and all that good stuff. So tomorrow, that's who's going to be on. If you like my show, if you like this show, not my show, the team show. Share it with five of your friends. If you didn't like it, share it with five of your enemies. That's what we do here. And as you can tell, I'm running a ticker down at the bottom. And that ticker is because this is all out of pocket. My, uh, my, my ghost team is nonprofit. 
So everything comes out of my pocket to pay for the internet and pay for the service to provide the show. So if you can find it in your heart to donate, that would be great. And that's at paypal.me at California Haunts. That would be wonderful. Doesn't have to be a lot, but just five, ten dollars here and there would really help me keep the show on the air and keep bringing in some cool guests like the gentleman tonight. Also, um, our YouTube page. Our YouTube page is there, but you can't find it. I've tried. I've Googled myself. I've Googled, you know, I've, I've Googled the titles of the shows. I've done all that. It's not going to come up. What I found out from YouTube is I have to have more than a hundred subscribers on there in order to get a dedicated URL so people can go directly there. So right now we're at around 77. So it would be great if you guys could join it, could subscribe to my YouTube page. Now, how do we do that? You need to go to the website, www.californiahauntsradio.com and click on click on the video that's on the front. That will take you to the YouTube site. Now on each video, either above it or below it, it's going to say subscribe. All you, got, all you have to do is click on subscribe, and you're in. The more subscribers I have, the better, you know, the better chance I can get closer to having that, that dedicated URL put on. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. And again, tomorrow we're going to have a musical guest on, so it's kind of fun. So I will see you guys tomorrow, and have a nice evening. <laughs>